Welcome to Lawyers Living Well, a production of the State Bar of Georgia's Attorney Wellness Committee and the Lawyers Assistance Program. Lawyers, this is your resource for all things wellness. It is our goal to encourage you to live well. Welcome to today's episode of Lawyers Living Well. I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyer Assistance Program of the State Bar of Georgia. Today, I am interviewing a very unique individual. And yes, Plumman, I know you're laughing over there, but you are incredibly unique, very thoughtful and well-rounded in ways that most people aren't. Aside from being a high-powered attorney in the technology area for Brian Cave, Plumman Rusev is a breathwork coach and chair of the Mental Health Subcommittee of the Wellness Committee of the Bar, member of the Wellness Committee, and member of the Lawyer Assistance Committee. Welcome, Plowman, and let's dive into it. And I'm surprised at the first question I'm asking you. I've known you so long, and I should know the answer to this, but I don't. I don't know that we've talked about it. So please tell your story, how you come to be so passionate about helping lawyers be well and stay well. Eileen, I'm so glad that we are having this conversation finally now for the benefit also of our colleagues, because I know that you have prepared some really deep, thoughtful questions that I'm really grateful for in advance, and I look forward to going there. So yes, I'm happy to share my story. It is funny how so far we haven't talked about it, but here you're going to get it. For those who are wondering about the name and the accent, uh, it probably helps to start with the place and the time. So I was born and grew up in communist Bulgaria behind the Iron Curtain. So that was an important part of my growing up and an important foundational experience in my life in a couple of different ways. One of the ways was that I, from very early on, I was exposed to a very rigorous and very comprehensive educational system, one in which we didn't have the option of choosing what we wanted to focus on, but we had to study everything. So that created a very full schedule, but also allowed us to learn many, many different disciplines every year we had, you know, probably on average about 15 different subjects. So what that created very early on was an intellectual curiosity and openness and also a certain intellectual intensity that I grew up with that was very much supported by my parents um, at home. My mom, interestingly, being a musician, so someone of the arts, and my dad being a form of civil engineer, someone, you know, like of the technical abilities and and the combination of of their skills and perspectives together with this pretty intense intellectual upbringing was important and formative in how I started to look at the world from a variety of different perspectives. When the wall came down and all of a sudden the world opened up, I could apply to colleges. But by then I had gone to a school, something known as foreign language schools in Bulgaria and that I learned my English there. So by the end of my high school, I was pretty comfortable and fluent in English, so I could start applying to colleges, you know, in English-speaking countries. Something that would not have been possible (laughs) behind the Iron Curtain. Anyway, 
That brought me here to the U.S. after I applied and got into, actually I got into Harvard, which provided an environment of continuous intellectual intensity that I really loved and enjoyed very much. So after graduating from college, I continued playing with this curiosity of being like very intellectually engaged by just trying something completely different and unfamiliar to me at that point, which was I went into information technology work, which had nothing to do with my liberal arts education, but it was such a fun exploration and such a great a group of people to work with. I, I was working for an Anglo-French company, spent some time in Malaysia, some time in Brazil, some time in London. So with all this travel and all this like very different work, I noticed that I wasn't getting sufficiently stimulated in my mind. My brain was beginning to feel lazy. And out of the desire to continue the intellectual involvement, actually, I went to law school. So completely driven by this desire to stay intellectually engaged, intellectual curiosity is what led me to law school. So I, I'm not one of the, the lawyers who grew up surrounded by lawyers who always knew they wanted to be a lawyer. In fact, I remember even in college not thinking actively I didn't want to be a lawyer <laughs> until somehow the circumstances of my life offered me that possibility. And, and, and I went to law school really looking to engage my mind. I knew that it was going to be a very rigorous program, and I loved that part of law school. Continued with that when I graduated and started working in big law. My experience has been really in big law firms from, from the very beginning. So that shapes my perspective and, and colors, obviously, my experience. But what I noticed in the, in, the, in the big law firms and in my practice there was that for the first time, very surprisingly to me, being exceptionally and exclusively focused on the intellect was no longer enough and in fact, it was kind of difficult for me to stay only in the intellectual level. Having discovered what an intense practice of the mind law is, I discovered that I needed to be able to find support from other aspects of my being a human. <laughs> the emotions, the relationship with other people, the social environment, uh, even spiritual sources of understanding of the world. So out of the experience of hyper-focus in intellectual performance came the desire to expand the perspective, which actually pushed me to look for training in integral coaching, which is a very holistic way of looking at the world and integrating different perspectives, as well as the breathwork training that you, you mentioned. It's that breathwork training that allowed me to begin to reintegrate these different parts of me that I had lost uh, or I had pushed aside while hyper-focusing on just the mind and just exercising my intellectual capacity by being a lawyer. My next question, you, you've exhibited what I'm going to ask in the next question just by your conversation, because you... You are the epitome to me of emotional intelligence. I've never seen anyone who was more emotionally intelligent than I think you are. 
And I don't know that everybody listening even knows what that really means. And you're going to talk about it some, but I'm going to read a little bit uh, about it before we get into a question. Emotional intelligence arguably accounts for as much as 80% of an individual's workplace success, more than raw intelligence and expertise combined. There's a surprise. Studies at Harvard and elsewhere have shown that high IQ does not necessarily translate into high productivity, while the ability to get along with people has been found to be more critical than intelligence, decisiveness, or job expertise in achieving bottom-line results. This indicates that emotionally intelligent partners will be among your strongest performers. So since you are the most emotionally intelligent person I know, how has that shaped your practice? And what impact do you think it's had on your success and your well-being as a lawyer? Um, Because we are here to talk about well-being. So tell us about that, if you will. It is interesting that you also pointed out, as, as you set up the question, that it's, it's not very clear what emotional intelligence is. And especially, I think it is very important to approach it on two levels. One is the definitional level. What does that mean? But then also I want to move into the practical level, which is the heart of your question. So when it comes to the definition of emotional intelligence, I think we need to acknowledge that as lawyers, we are looking at our emotional world and our emotional experiences through a very deep bias against it. We are trained into mistrusting our emotions from the very beginning of law school or maybe shoving them aside because they can get in the way of coming up with a logical, reasonable argument And that, I'm afraid, often has ended up hurting us a lot more than helping us because it is a form of flattening and narrowing of our capacity, which I believe when it comes to emotional emotional intelligence, going to the definition of what it is, even in the excerpt that you read, it is so interesting how much of the excerpt is focusing on bringing in a certain emotional capacity so that we can be better performers in the law. And that is definitely one side, one benefit of emotional intelligence, but that's not at all the entire story. What happens with expanding into emotional awareness and therefore being able to integrate the emotional aspect of being human into legal practice opens up truly Well, first, it requires us to rehabilitate our emotional experience. And instead of shoving it aside, to begin to acknowledge and recognize that these emotions that seem to come out of the disorderliness of being human actually have a really important role to play and inform us even in our legal practice. An emotion can be an incredibly vital guide through a situation where our mind is not going to be sufficient just to to help us navigate that situation, especially when it comes to relating to other humans and to their experience. There is a reason why there are all these lawyer jokes, unfortunately. And in the lawyer jokes, probably the most consistent theme is how inept (laughs) lawyers tend to be when it comes to connecting to other humans and, and, and relating on an emotional level. 
So, so the emotional capacity and the emotional intelligence that I can see can really benefit us in our legal practices. How can we begin to allow ourselves not only to feel the emotions, but to integrate the information that they offer to us in knowing how to make the next decision about the question that we ask the client who is in front of us and who themselves might be going through a certain emotional reaction for whatever reason. If we are not sufficiently strong in our own emotional muscle, we're going to miss vitally important information that that person might be able to offer us. And it may have nothing to do with legal strategy at that point. It could be simply that we might need to attend to the human being in front of us so that we become clearer about the legal issue. Often in our, again, messy human life, emotions and various other factors are so intertwined with the questions that we bring you know, to lawyers seeking to be resolved that if we don't have at least some sort of awareness and at least sufficient comfort with being able to hold not just an intellectual but an emotional space with the client, we're going to be creating potentially a difficult uh, relationship with that client and could miss some really important clues on how we can offer a resolution. I just love talking to you. So I have to jump in at certain points. You've said so many meaningful things. When you talk about holding an emotional space as well as intellectual space and logical space for the client, we'll get into it maybe a little with other questions, but during the time of COVID, that has brought that to the forefront. We are all aware, we're not the only people who are struggling with COVID. Everybody is struggling. Our clients have small children at home who are learning remotely, who they're having to be responsible for. And if you're right, if we're not able to take that into consideration, especially now, I think we, we may lose a lot that could be otherwise gained by building a relationship and building commonality there. Yes, I think COVID has been such an unusual experience that has really brought us to the limits of our habitual way of approaching difficult situations because it really has collapsed boundaries. It has collapsed timeframes. It has collapsed so much of our support network or the usual ways in which we are relating to, to the world and to each other as we have had to, to, to create this new practice of social distancing. And for each one of us, that looks and feels different. It creates different forms of challenges. We have also deprived our brains from an incredible array of stimuli to which we have been exposed otherwise in our day-to-day -day life. And that itself has created such an intense emotional experience for all of us, because as we, especially as lawyers, as we're noticing even the, the greater amount of confusion and dulling of our intellectual capacity, which is inevitable in this time of overwhelm and, and being exposed to very challenging stories and very difficult experiences all around us and within ourselves. It's inevitable that our 
brain processor will, will become so overwhelmed that at times it just has no idea what to do with all of this information. So that's when we really need to start to give ourselves a break, remind ourselves to take a deep breath, give some life to this, you know, human body so that the, the brain can catch again, catch up again, and maybe make sense of the next little bit of information until it cannot make sense of it again. So COVID has been a profoundly humbling experience and yet one that that has offered so much learning about our limits and how important it is to relax our rigidity about how we approach even what we think we know. No, completely. And you've beautifully led into the next question, which relates to an article you sent to me a few weeks ago. I thought it perfectly summed up the way COVID has played directly into our natural perfectionistic tendencies as lawyers. I'm going to ask you to read it, then I'll have a few questions for you, if you will. We are living through a relentless constellation of loss, and I hear a near-constant attempt to downplay just how hard it is. Asked how we're doing, I utter such words too. Of course, it is impossible for me to work full-time and homeschool my children, but, but, and I race ahead in the same breath, it's a wonder to be so involved in their learning. The gratitude is genuine, and it is so tempting to push my weary appreciation forward, eclipsing how untenable this situation really is. Our collective coping also comes through in cordial rounds of competitive grief, these being the Olympic Games of pandemic times. The rules have shifted, though, and the goal is no longer to come out on top with the most impressive woes, but instead to contort oneself towards the belief that it is not that bad, that indeed it could be much worse. We win by convincing ourselves and anyone in earshot that no matter how buried we may be, there is no need for sympathy or lament. When someone checks in, particularly when asking about observable hardships, the accomplished competitive grief athlete leaps to offer an explanation of how it's truly fine, how someone else has it worse. I think that is such a profound summation of a lot of what is going on right now. But I'm, I'm not going to talk about my reaction to it. I want to hear your reaction to it and whether you have observed this in your colleagues or in yourself. Yes, actually, um, I, I want to acknowledge that, that the author who wrote this, her writing really resonated so deeply with me, which is why I, I, I felt compelled to share it with you. Uh, and it seems it has touched you as well. So I have seen this both in myself and, and in my colleagues. As lawyers, we're so trained into putting up this impermeable facade of perfection, being the experts who can only offer the solutions, having absolutely no vulnerability at all. And in these times, as she points out so beautifully, this is a completely untenable position. I find myself frequently, if I sense a certain inability in the person I'm speaking with, 
to listen or to hear about difficult circumstances, I quickly do what you described. I rush to counterbalance the difficulty that I'm experienced with. But the silver lining is, but here is the bright spot. I actually even did a little bit of that earlier on when I was speaking <laughs> about the difficulty of COVID, even in this very conversation. So it is part of the training. It is part of such a, an automatic response. And it is really important to begin to undo this response because I have seen again, both in myself and others, that when we open ourselves to acknowledge the difficulty of what we're going through, usually that brings the conversation with the other person to a much deeper level. All of a sudden, we're able to connect almost more heart to heart than just mind to mind. It opens up new possibilities of relating to each other and it allows us to hang out in a very different experience of strength and resilience, one which is fueled by our shared vulnerability as humans. And that is something that is very unexplored. There is a deep power in that, that we're almost, again, trained against in law school and in our professional culture and our professional practice. But every time, inevitably, every time, even with colleagues and leaders in the legal field, whenever they open up to share their vulnerability and their own struggle, and I think that you, Lynn, have exhibited this beautifully in your open sharing about what a difficult and what a dark place depression can be and how it can shape how you experience life and what decisions are possible out of this space and what decisions are completely impossible, completely out of reach out of this space. Your leadership in modeling that has opened up the door to acknowledging that there is deep strength in, in our human imperfections. And, and maybe even that can sound very uncomfortable to colleagues who are so accustomed to, to being perfect, being paid to be perfect, and being demanded by our colleagues and by our clients to be perfect all the time. Unfortunately, yes, it gets the work done, but it has a huge cost that we're paying internally with our own buried suffering on an emotional level. We're also paying the cost of that in our relationships that can suffer so much if we try to maintain this untenable position of perfection and facades. I mean, how many of us, especially if we have a significant other or a spouse who is not a lawyer, how many of us have heard some variation of, oh my God, here's the lawyer again. What's going on? <laughs> or, you know, like... Go away, and when, when you're not in your lawyer mode, then we can continue that conversation. Some, some sort of variation in this theme. I, I thank you for, even for the courage to bring this up into our conversation. It is part of our discomfort, but also part of our huge potential for growth as lawyers and something that we can really bring and integrate into our profession because that will begin to make, you know, those lawyer jokes a lot more, um, irrelevant 
<laughs> I, I don't think it will chip away or it will diminish our capacity to do our export work as lawyers. But what we'll do, it will open up different sources of strength that we can tap into. No, I so completely agree. And, and I've noticed you drop a few compliments and, and nice words along the way. I want to thank you for those. But I will tell you, and, and I can't quite explain it, but I have been successful for quite a while now. I'm in big law, just like you are. And yet I have gone to my folks that I work for. And I've said one time, you have to take me off of this project. I knew when I was driving to work and I was shaking and crying that I had to come off of the project and the person was extremely nice, took me off the project. The sky didn't fall in. I didn't lose my job. People are so afraid of that. I mean, I'm aware around the country of people who feel that they are in a place where they should go inpatient or they should go into a rehab facility but they won't do it because they won't disclose because they're afraid of the repercussions. They're up for a status change, for example. And if anybody finds out, then, you know, I, I won't be able to be elevated to that new status. And honestly, I won't feel like my job is done until that no longer is a part of the culture. It, it cannot continue to be part of the culture. I just couldn't agree with you more. I think. The way we have shaped our culture is creating so much suffering for us. And it is, it is not necessary. It really is not necessary to be successful. And I think a lot of that is based on a very narrow of an understanding of what it is to be a lawyer and what it, what we need to be able to be successful lawyers. Um, it seems like we have created this like black and white idea that to be a successful lawyer, uh, you can only be this way, you can only behave this way, and you can only say these things, which is very limiting <laughs> at the end of the day. And we have a lot of work to do in, in allowing ourselves to, to even begin to heal our professional culture. I don't think it is helping anyone when we live in a professional culture which values pushing ourselves to the very limit because we're beginning to see, we have been seeing the very high price of that. When we push ourselves to the limit, unfortunately, in the worst circumstances, we end losing our colleagues to suicide. That is the, the most profound loss that we suffer. And given the incredible amount of talent given the incredible amount of work effort, and also what a central point each lawyer is for so many other people and so many other relationships. The loss is huge of the human being and of the lawyer that we, 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 cannot, we, we can absolutely not continue to be able to pay that price. But in addition, there is the other huge price that we're paying when we are afraid of stepping away and looking for a way to, to take care for ourse of ourselves in a way that may be counter-cultural 
because that's not any of the official recognized messages that we hear. Similarly to what you have done, I have had to sometimes simply just dial down my hours or the intensity of my involvement because I also know that when my mind is so nervous and anxious, this is actually neuroscience. We know from neuroscience that when we are activated into a stress response, our decision-making is severely limited and our prefrontal cortex essentially goes offline. So there is very little that we can effectively do in the most essential work we need to do as lawyers if we are not able to calm down the nervous system, which is really in survival mode at that point, and says, I'm going to do whatever I need to do so you're not going to to be able to think rationally because that's simply not available during that time. And it's important to to educate ourselves and, and it's important to allow ourselves the time we need to take a breath to reintegrate and reconnect to this brain capacity because it's not a given that we will always be able to use our brain the way we want to use it as lawyers. We just need to work with the rest of our humanity, the biology that makes certain things possible or impossible, depending on the situation. Well, you, again, lead in, you know, we're talking a lot about how we have difficulties in the practice of law. What resources do we have? You've mentioned one that I'm going to give back to you, which is breathing. I do that myself. It can be, it's a discipline. All of this is a discipline. It's, it's almost easier to sit there and keep, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing than to make yourself stop and say, no, this is no good. I'm not thinking well, I can do better. If I just sit here for a minute, take a few deep breaths, walk outside if I can, anything to interrupt that overwhelm to get the circuit you know, back online. But we've got other resources. I want you to talk about, you know, breathing and and those resources. But I also want to ask you, you know, the state bar has resources. You're on (laughs) most of the committees that run the resources. There's the lawyer assistance program with the six prepaid counseling sessions. There's the peer program, which is under the lawyer assistance program, offering peer-to-peer support. Lots of resources listed on the wellness page. Is there anything you'd like to see added to what the bar does and what other resources would you offer to people? Honestly, until today, I'm still quite astonished that so many of our colleagues, unfortunately, do not know even of these resources. I believe that the bar, the Georgia Bar, has done a fantastic job of creating absolutely foundational resources. The Use Your Six program, which is a program of the Lawyer Assistance Program, This is crucial and has helped me many times. I'm going to circle back a little bit. So the awareness of my own emotional state has consistently helped me know when I need to re-engage with the Use Your Six program. So when I have found myself being in such a like an emotionally untenable situation, I just know to call the hotline once again and say, hey, listen, I've worked with this therapist in the past. Are they available? If they're not, how about, you know, I connect with another therapist because this is what's going on and I need that kind of support. 
absolutely crucial source that I would recommend every single one of our colleagues just to use. And even if they don't know exactly what's going on with them, it's sufficient to know that something is off. The people are trained so well to be able to ask the right questions and to guide us the way we are guiding our clients to have a better assessment of their situation. That's their job. They know how to guide us so they know what form of help to offer us. So the Lawyer Assistance Program, the, the User 6, is a fantastic resource that I love. But then the peer program is profoundly underutilized, and it's a different model and a different perspective because there we can actually speak with another colleague, someone else who has chosen to be open to sharing you know, their own difficulty and their own experience that they have been through, how they've made their way through these incredibly difficult situations that we face as lawyers. And just being able to listen, to be heard, is an incredibly powerful way of finding our own strength, honestly. Because more often than not, we just get depleted by being alone and by deepening our loneliness, by believing that there's no one else who will understand or there's no one else who wants to listen to my stuff. I can consistently say that whenever I've had the courage to open up this type of conversation with a fellow colleague, there is such depth of understanding and there's such willingness to listen and to offer support that I'm honestly astonished. And that is the thing that keeps me being very motivated to stay very engaged with finding ways to to support our well-being as lawyers because Inevitably, I hear such deep yearning within all of my colleagues whenever we start that conversation. And we can talk about it. It's fascinating to see all the the obstacles just beginning to drop away. As we go into that conversation, we have the context of the profession. And we don't have to even talk about it too much because it is a shared language that we instantly go and have. That's the power of the peer program that we can tap into. And it is that yearning, but also the the deep need for each one of us as lawyers to be able to integrate the hardship of being a lawyer with all the other parts of being a human. What happens to, to my values as a human when my legal practice pushes me in certain directions that might create deep inner conflict? It would be really important to be able to speak to another colleague who has struggled with the same thing. And... There are no ideal answers, no ideal solutions. These are the uncomfortable conversations that we just need to stay on individually, but also collectively. So the resources, they empower the individuals to cultivate our skills. But we're not going to go anywhere until we start shifting and we start attending to the systemic issues in the profession as a whole in the culture that we're creating in the profession. So it's just as important for our leaders to speak out, for our leaders to keep sharing their vulnerability, their struggles, because that begins to undo that unshakable big facade of perfection that is going to kill us all in the end. You know, so the systemic level is where I'm really interested in staying in the uncomfortable conversation in which 
We currently, we don't have good answers. That's the reality. We don't even know how to take care of ourselves because we have so many inefficiencies and so many distortions within our way in which we are practicing law. And we know what these distortions are causing us, you know, as, as the lack of wellness. It's so well documented at this point that it's, that it's completely unnecessary. There's even one more study that, that Krill has put out about, you know, what is it? Stress, is stress, drink. stress, stress, drink and leave. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it doesn't encapsulate it. Come yeah. into the profession, stress out of your mind, drink to try to, to deal with it. And then if, if that doesn't work, just leave. No, we cannot continue to do that. How does that serve society? G- given that lawyers are playing such a crucial role in society, it doesn't in the end. So that's, that's my hope that we will continue staying in the uncomfortable conversation until we just stumble our way into more meaningful answers and a better way of navigating. It's a pretty complex terrain. No easy solutions, but I have absolutely no doubt in our ability to find these solutions. It will be a creative process. It will take however long it needs to take. And I'm really kind of curious to see where it takes us, where we end up going together. But there is a lot of co-creating these answers that we need to find together. You know, I could talk to you all day. I could. And it's a wonderful conversation. I'm going to have to wrap it up just time-wise. But I want to ask you, you've shared a lot, but do you have any final thoughts? Not necessarily on the systemic issues, but anything that you'd like to share? Probably that I continue to be very encouraged and very grateful to be in this very difficult profession that I have so many times just I've thought, okay, I've reached my end again. I've reached my limit. How much more of this do I need to take? And whenever I reach this end point, I also and always need to make the next step of, all right, how can I take care of myself in this particular moment? Who can I connect with? Usually very important to connect with another colleague even if it's actually not a colleague, anyone else that will allow me to be to become untrapped from my perspective, which in that moment is necessarily limited. And then somehow I'm able to make the next step and the next move forward. And that is also the capacity that I see in my colleagues. That is the capacity that I see also in, in our shared community in our shared professional community. So although we are a little bit trapped in a certain narrative of who we are and what we are like, we are living in times that are basically pushing us to keep expanding the storylines. This narrative can take many more storylines. And if, if there's anything probably that I would like to finish with, it's my invitation to all of our colleagues Please contribute your voice, your experience to this conversation that we need to be having because we need to hear from each other. We need to hear how multifaceted lawyers are. We need to know how different the experience of lawyering is 
for so many of us so that we can begin to see how integrating this incredible richness of life perspectives, professional perspectives, can enrich the profession, ultimately enabling us to serve society from a very different place. I believe that if we heal ourselves as lawyers, we know that the, the legal profession is not well right now, but if we create a legal professional that is healthy, vibrant, and thriving, now imagine how that can transform the way we even approach conflict in society. I think the possibility of that is incredible. And that is my biggest motivation. It can sound really big and bombastic. And I've seen some of my colleagues sometimes get a little bit, you know, tense when they hear me speak in these like really big, big, big terms. But for me, it is important to have a certain philosophical orientation to keep me going. And that's mine. And it doesn't even need to make sense for you or anyone else. But it's important that each one of us finds our own big picture to motivate us, to keep us going, to nourish us, and to allow us to keep contributing uh, in a way that only each one of us can contribute, profoundly unique and profoundly powerful. I found that so inspirational. I was also laughing because you said you sometimes say that in people, or that's such a large concept. At one point, I thought to myself, I'm a pretty linear thinker, <laughs> you know, that, that was so in the round. I had to stretch my brain to, to think that way and to absorb that. But, you know, the piece that I sort of feel from it is that we can reinvent the culture. And if we do reinvent the culture, we can change the impact we have on the world and yes. in, in a wonderful way. And it can use it. It can use yes. it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, our world in so many ways we see is suffering. I mean, look at this pandemic. It is bringing to the forefront so much of the suffering of the world. We are mirroring the suffering in our own profession. I mean, look at that. What a deep point of connection, even at that level, that we can explore very differently and, and even contribute from that space. Well, Plumman, thank you so much. I knew it would be an extraordinarily thoughtful interview, and so it has been. Please continue to be well in these times which are trying. They continue to be trying, maybe getting a little better, but nobody knows for sure. And the same to all of our listeners. Please do join us next time for another episode of Lawyers Living Well. And if you are having any difficulties in this moment, please do reach out to the Lawyer Assistance Program and or the Peer Program. The resources are listed on the Lawyer Assistance Program webpage on the BARS website. They're also on the wellness page. Those resources are there, as Plaman said, they're underutilized. They're there for you. Please do use them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyer Assistance Program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lawyers Living Well. If you need immediate confidential help, call the LAP hotline at 1-800-327-9631. That's 1-800-327-9631. 
You can also visit lawyerslivingwell.org for more wellness resources through the State Bar of Georgia. That's lawyerslivingwell.org. We hope you can join us next time.